1: Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Ku. On today's show, I have Stephen Sprague, who's the founder and CEO of Rivets. Rivets is making apps safer and simpler. <laughs> On this week's tech news, all over the internet and becoming very often a meme, Elon Musk announced that Tesla's getting into the truck business with their Cybertruck. Three things come to mind. One, The Cybertruck looks like a cross between a DeLorean and a vehicle from Mad Max. On top of that, during a live demo, Elon claimed that the Cybertruck was bulletproof and then proceeded to throw two metal balls at it, which broke both of the windows. And finally, regarding Cybertruck, they released a video that showed it crushing the Ford F-150 in a tug of war. And immediately, Ford responded with they wanted to do a fair comparison in the future. Another big headline is Charles Schwab has said that they intend to acquire TD Ameritrade, creating the largest brokerage in the world for online trading. And it's a $26 billion all-stock deal. And with that, they announced that Charles Schwab will be moving headquarters from San Francisco to Texas. And there's more carnage after the whole WeWork fiasco. The whole quote-unquote SoftBank business model is now under a lot of scrutiny under attack with many investors questioning SoftBank, which was considered one of the most successful, most highly visible venture capital firms, and how they value companies with the return to actually caring about revenue and profits. There are some saying that SoftBank may not survive when everything is said and done. In a couple of stories related to cryptocurrency, it's been reported that the Binance exchange at a Shanghai has been shut down. There's no confirmation from Binance itself yet, but many have reported that due to China's dichotomous view of cryptocurrencies, on one hand, they're very anti-cryptocurrencies if you don't report it, But on the other hand, they're embracing the country's own cryptocurrency, that there's a lot of players who are thinking about how do they coexist in a country like China. And in more of an embarrassment, Monero, which is a cryptocurrency that many use allegedly to hide transactions, to move money around, that their own website had a downloadable app that in itself had malware, that if you installed it, would crypto mine, which means using your computer resources, even if it's not doing anything else, to generate cryptocurrency. Uh, There's also been no confirmation from Monero about whether that is the case. And that's the tech news of the week. Welcome back to Silicon Insider. Once again, I'm joined with Steven Sprague, who is the founder and CEO of Rivets, which are making simpler and safer app development. Welcome, Stephen. Hi there. Thanks for having me. So, Stephen, you're lucky. I understand you're vacationing on Florida right now.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, although I started my vacation getting here from uh, spending the weekend in Dubai at a large family office, office investment conference. So. Um, I'm ready for a couple of days of um, not traveling in the air.
1: And, and in one of those rare cases where Florida is actually cooler than Dubai.
2: It is. It, it was lovely weather in both locations, but it takes you 16 hours on an airplane to get between them.
1: I know. I'll be in Dubai in January. So uh, thanks again for being on the show. I wanted to get a little bit into high level. What is Rivets and then what is your background or the team's background and how you got into this space?
2: Sure. So Rivets is a solution that is designed to help app developers take advantage of the embedded hardware security that's already in your mobile phone. So inside the chipset of your phone is a small um, area of the chip, which is called a trusted execution environment or a secure enclave. And what that allows us to do is both hide and process secrets independent of the operating system. Mm. And I come from a background of Over 20 years in the trusted computing space, I used to run a company called Wave Systems Corp. We were instrumental in helping that hardware get defined and deployed into devices. And it's actually quite prevalent in both PCs and in mobile phones. And it provides a mechanism for the protection of a private key and hardware embedded within the existing system you already have. So there, as an example, there are 1.8 billion PCs that have a trusted platform module on the motherboard, that if your service providers supported it, it would eliminate your need for multi-factor authentication. They could just register your personal computer is the device you access your home banking with. And it would dramatically reduce the fraud that's built around username and password.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So what is the unique identifier coming off the PC, this trusted execution protocol? What's, and I know I didn't get the, the second E correct, but what is in that?
2: So what it is, is you can almost think of it as a, as a programmable SIM chip on the motherboard of your PC, kind of like the chip that you put in the side of your phone, Okay. but instead of it having one identity for, let's say, just your carrier, this has the ability to store literally hundreds of keys. And so you could have, for example, a Facebook key or a Netflix key, and once you register that device then that device has hardware authentication specific to your account, and the user wouldn't have to type in a username and password. So like, if you're at the airport on a airport Wi-Fi you might or might not really trust, you're not transmitting your username and password over the air in the clear. What you're doing instead is securing with a proper end-to-end mathematically secured link. And and this works really well. It's what protected all of BlackBerry back in the day, um, and it's and it's the security that um, really protects the whole global cellular network. Um, when you make phone calls, you know you if you don't have if you haven't paid your AT and T account, it's kind of hard to get access.
1: <laughs> yeah, it brings to mind about a year and a half ago, there was a discovered a flaw in x86 chips such as Intel and AMD. I called it the Chipocalypse. Is there the same vulnerability or is this different?
2: So there's always vulnerability in hardware, but um, as an example, one of the key things you'd want to know is do I have a PC that has that specific vulnerability and is it being relied on? So that vulnerability, yes it exists, still provides a greater level of security than typing in your username and password as a consumer Um, because we're not very good at choosing passwords. So it's important that the identity of the device and the capabilities of the device are known to a service so that we can assemble content that comes from a known machine, not what we do today, which is unknown computers connected to, to secure networks, right? And the problem is we create and consume content on the actual device
1: yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, the a- average consumer, we're all terrible at passwords, remembering passwords, and even password managers can be somewhat effective, but they still have have the ability to be breached and, and attacked.
2: Yeah. And, and a great example in this concept, I mean we will always have vulnerabilities in machines. but like the VIN number on your car, you know the ID number for your car. Yep. If you if somebody has bad brakes in you know a specific model of a specific brand, Then you want to know if you have that car that it has bad brakes and you have to take it down to the dealer and get it fixed. And that's actually done an incredible job of improving the safety of vehicles over the last 50 years. We need that type of a model within our compute platforms. You have a PC sitting on your desk. You have no idea what the vulnerabilities are of that device.
1: And that's a great analogy, Steven. So I'm going to pause you right there because we have a lot more to talk about. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Kuh. My special guest is Stephen Sprague, who is the founder and CEO of Rivets, R-I-V-E-T-Z, and they're making apps safer and simpler. Any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svin.biz. I'll be right back.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your
1: host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, joined with Stephen Sprague, who is the founder and CEO of Rivets, making app development simpler and safer. Stephen, uh, welcome back.
2: Sure. Yeah, thanks to be here.
1: So I have a question that we just started touching on in the last segment, which is why is device security so important?
2: Device security is important, especially in blockchain, because with blockchain, especially public chains, the chain doesn't really have a network, it just has nodes. And public chains are censorship proof. And one of the challenges we have is that all of network security is censorship, so public chains are network security proof. And so effectively, we have to move the cybersecurity into the device and not make it part of the network. And so the device plays a very important role in assuring that the private key that's used is in its correct condition, that it hasn't been compromised, that it's properly secured. And it's not just the protection of the private key, but also the instruction that the private key signs. And so it's very important that the device is a known device in a known condition protecting the instructions that are then sent to blockchain.
1: Thank you very much for answering the question. <laughs> So what's come up a lot, Stephen, in the last couple of years, especially with the rise of blockchain, is before that we were talking about IoT and that IoT in itself is very insecure. And so a lot of questions were about what if my thermostat gets hacked, which has happened. What if my home device, TiVo, Wi-Fi, denial of service attacks, those have all happened and they've all been exploits in hardware-based systems or appliances. So when we talk about blockchain, Being able to use the blockchain to secure the IoT devices, which some anticipate to be over a trillion connected devices in the next decade, you believe that blockchain in itself can
2: solve this problem? So blockchain plays a role in solving this problem, but it is not the whole solution. Both IoT and blockchain suffer from the fact that while, let's say on blockchain, the data that's sent to the chain is immutable and that it can't be changed once it's recorded on the chain, but we have no evidence that the data written on the chain was intended. And one of the core things Rivets is trying to accomplish is to take a private key, wrap a policy agent around it, so that we can collect a select a group of information around the protection of that key, think of it as a manifest of controls or compliance, sign that, and embed a second signature in the chain so that the data that's sent to the chain now is got evidence of the quality of the data that was recorded. We need the same thing from all of IoT. Identity plus the health and integrity of the thing that sent the data. So that we're really moving to IoT as a network of messaging. You can almost think of it as a social network of things, not a set of people on phone calls trying to talk to each other. We're really moving to an identity model of networking and away from a connections model. Blockchain requires it, IoT will hugely benefit from it.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. When I give talks about security, IoT, and blockchain, I use an example which is, I think, good for making this in a concrete perspective. We, here at least in the Western world, we turn on our tap water, our faucets, and we expect drinkable water. And we forget the supply chain that's involved with that. It's a luxury we have in the Western world. So if you think about the source of the water, where it passes through, the filtration that happens, and then being able to come out of your faucet. Imagine that if a nefarious actor was actually doing something to the supply or some type of contamination got into it, we think that IoT will be uh, one of the perfect vehicles for the solution, but then you worry about that data provenance that you get out of the blockchain. So let's apply a rivets to that. How would that work in a supply chain like the water supply?
2: So what we're doing is providing the supply chain for the data. So what happens is when I fire up a device, I can measure its BIOS. Then I could have a private key that's protected in hardware, so I could attest to the hardware. Then I could, with the hardware, reach out and say, is this device on the correct network, and get evidence back. I could reach out and say, is this user a member of the enterprise, and get evidence back. I can add all that evidence together in a little manifest, And then that manifest can travel separately from the data, but the data now has a signature that says this manifest of controls were in place. The supply chain for this piece of data is now characterized. And so it becomes a very important piece of how we deliver assurance that the data, when you receive it, you can check the signature for immutability, you can check the signature for the attestation of the compliance, and if you have a copy of that manifest, you know all the controls that were in place. And so this is how decentralized cybersecurity can really replace what has been just making the wires safe, but not making the data safe. We're really hacking all the devices these days. Very few people hack the actual transportation in the wire.
1: Correct. But there's always the fear. (laughs) And I think what you're making a good point, too, coming out of uh, banking, highly regulated and applying the audit review and the regulatory oversight, being able to prove where in the supply chain that the contamination actually happened or the tampering actually happened is uh, what would be important in remediating um, where the problem, where we say the uh, problem first existed, the first cause?
2: Correct. The banking has solved the problem very effectively um, in point of sale terminals where you have a pin pad, a secure display, and a chip in your card. But in e-commerce, we got nothing. You just type in username and password, a piece of malware in the browser can change the direction of the money. You You have people getting wire transfers rerouted, Bitcoin transactions rerouted. So we actually have to secure what you see is what you sign, proper protection of the private key, and assure that we capture user intent with evidence. And if you have those three pieces, you can now transmit a transaction across any network. So a perfect example is the nuclear football. You type in the codes, (laughs) you wrap it and encrypt it, you send it over a public network called AIR, no VPN, and it arrives at a submarine, which is a trusted contract. The trusted contract opens the message, checks its signature, and then hopefully follows the instructions.
1: That's a great example. It's a little bit extreme. I'm thinking whether or not... Governments of the world would trust a decentralized network to do that. Even if we could, you and I could prove that the security on the decentralized network would actually be effective, it's it's a little disconcerting, I would think, to put your trust in a decentralized platform.
2: I, I think the challenge, the challenge, which is attempting to secure um, the wires with unknown compute, we know the unknown compute's been compromised, so it's probably a layered effect where this is just additive to the existing layers, but fundamentally the network security is going away. We're gonna have secure messages generated by proper tamper resistant hardware protected keys, and that will provide us an enormously more secure information sharing network than we have today where we've secured wires, but assuming we, we assume the data on the screen was presented correctly and it's a bad assumption.
1: Yeah. I spent a good portion of my career at Cisco. And back in the day, I think 20 years back, we were talking about being able to send uh, secure messages via via laser to those submarines. And uh, um, those were very hard to do to pinpoint when and where to do that. So being able to trust on a decentralized web, in theory, would make things, as your tagline is, simpler and safer.
2: And so I don't use the word trust. I think the right word is to use the word measured. And so I have a measured device in a measured condition with zero trust architecture policies and controls. You're effectively moving the policy enforcement point from what has been a network's connection to now a policy enforcement point to the data signing. And so now I can assert these policies were verified when this piece of data was signed. And I can prove that pretty well with math and what blockchain does is it becomes the the key management and the trust authority for the whole network where you don't have to trust a third party. You can now root your own keys, right? So any enterprise can have its own root key. You're not trusting Verizon to hold your root key. That's the amazing part of blockchain. So, Blockchain Steve, plus trust computing builds a global network.
1: So, Stephen, let's uh, keep going in our next segment. I'm sure people are going to want to know how to actually get engaged with the platform and secure their environments. You have any questions or comments? Email us at info at SVN.biz and we'll be right back.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828 7846 That's 888 828 svin Now back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Kuh.
1: Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Kuh. On today's show, I have Stephen Sprague, founder and CEO of Rivets. <laughs> For this week's cyber tip, I want to remind anyone using cloud services that they cannot assume that their data is protected. It was announced this week that it was a 1.2 billion record exposure on a cloud server, which in this case is Google Cloud, uh, that had all this personal information exposed, 622 million email addresses, 50 million phone numbers, and lots of LinkedIn and Facebook profiles. These came out of what... Is believed to be two companies pdl people data labs and oxy both have denied any ownership of the server which makes sense the question is how did that data even get out onto the internet to begin with and there's no one who's claimed responsibility so just a reminder again that if you're using cloud services you are responsible for keeping your data of you and your customers secure and that's the cyber tip of the week <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Stephen Sprague, who is the founder and CEO of Rivets, making your app simpler and safer. Welcome back, Stephen. Thank you. So, Stephen, in the first two segments, we talked a lot about the background of Rivets, R-I-V-E-T-Z, and the need to make apps simpler and safer, and how your platform is a solution for doing that. I wanted to talk about how do people get engaged? What's the model and how they work with you and Rivets?
2: Sure. The primary model for Rivets is we're really focused to helping the developer. And so uh, Rivets has a set of tools that any developer can integrate into their app that provide them with access to the embedded hardware security that's already within the platform. So what we've done is we've taken out the complexity of how do you register the device, the key management pieces, et cetera, and we provide a developer basically with um, a developer uh, a developer kit, as well as the key management um, for their individual devices. And what this allows them to do is to move away from trying to store secrets within the operating system, where we know those secrets can be compromised if the platform's compromised, and move instead the secrets and the processing of those secrets into the embedded hardware um, within the device so now you have effectively, for example, a hardware wallet operating inside your Android phone versus holding your Bitcoin private key um, out in the Android operating system where it's really not safe.
1: So what happens then if somebody loses their phone? I mean, that's a great solution. What happens if they actually lose their physical device?
2: I Actually, I love that question because the one thing that's important in cybersecurity is that you know that you have a problem. Right? People get hacked and can be hacked for years. Even corporations can be hacked for years and not know. Once we bind the keys to your device, when you lose your device, most people realize they've lost their device within a very short period of time. We've created a variety of set of tools um, that we call your cyber deadbolt that allow you to lock your device. Um, and and that can be done, you know, through simple action with somebody else's phone or through an SMS or we have a variety of different mechanisms to support that. and. And so, that, at that point, your keys are completely locked um, within the device. So, if you find it again because you lost it in the couch, um, then you can re-enable your keys, and we think that's an important piece of the puzzle as well. So, it, it is bound to your device and has the tools to keep your keys safe even if you lose your phone or even if you lose it permanently.
1: Okay. So, you lose your phone permanently. How do you recover your persona, your identity?
2: Well, so for an example, we've um, built a relationship with Telefonica. They're the third largest carrier in the world, and we've been demonstrating a dual roots of trust solution. So we actually lock your private keys within the device with the SIM and with an, an app that's deployed on the SIM. So now you have double level encryption of the private key. Um, so if you were to lose your phone, you can SMS the carrier and say, turn off my phone. And it will turn off your keys. And then recovery We actually think recovery comes from using a collection of devices as your identity, not a single phone. So it might require two or three of your other devices or family devices to consent to rebuilding your single phone. So you don't have the risk that one account or one person's been compromised. You'd have to accomplish a compromise on multiple devices at the same time.
1: That's smart. Um, Here's a wild question for you. What would you do with your solution uh, to deter SIM
2: swapping? Well, so the problem with SIM swapping is that carriers don't have an application-level identity with the user, and we think that these technologies really um, help to solve that problem. First off, using the SIM as a mechanism for two-factor authentication is not safe, and we should all be moving away from it.
1: (laughs) And we know Uh, that with our good friend Michael Turpin.
2: Well, we know that with our good friend Michael Turpin, but we also know that because NIST announced it to the world like three or four years ago, because the SS7 networks on which SMSs travel are not encrypted and were not intended to be encrypted. Um, So moving to something like a Google Authenticator, actually Rivets has a Rivets Authenticator that provides similar capability, is a massively more secure way to accomplish two-factor authentication than with SMS.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's what I really like about a solution like Rivets and what folks like you are doing is that we have technology, technology advances, nefarious bad actors advance very quickly and figure out the exploits, the back doors, the vulnerabilities. And so it's always a game of staying ahead of those people to keep your devices and your environment safe. So being innovative in the approach is what I really like about what you're doing.
2: I also, yes. And I also think that One of the challenges is get to a point where you've raised the bar high enough that it's really hard for the hackers to generate a profit in the compromise. So if you look at things like cable boxes, we went through years where they weren't very secure and there was a viable market in hacking cable boxes. That's just not true anymore. There's just no aftermarket and you know, come hack your direct TV box. We all just pay the bill and, and watch television. You know, I mean the hack now is to go watch television. Online instead of watching it, you know, from a TV provider, um, and so I think it's there. It is possible to get to a point where the security is strong enough, um, and obviously, you have to keep moving it forward um, because the bad guys do move forward. Um, but make it strong enough so that it's not profitable to hack.
1: Yeah, that, that's a good point because we talk about how hackers in general, especially where uh, the cost, the, the very low barrier to entry, it just takes. Uh, even kids as young as 11 to 14 years old in, in a country where it's just economically feasible that they can just start hacking. It, it, it's a very low bar.
2: Correct. And we know, you know from applications like Snapchat that when the application gets big enough and the target gets fat enough, it's easy to go after the target, right? And so we learned that snaps don't really go away because there were apps you could download that would steal the Snapchat keys and then therefore prevent the messages from disappearing. And the same thing is true across all of crypto. You know, dApps today are very early on in their application. They have very small user bases, but as those grow in size, it'll become easy to write an app that goes and steals the keys for that dApp, at which point you just became that person. And so what does it mean when somebody steals a billion crypto keys at the same time? Um, It might be for an entertainment application or whatever, but it can break the whole application. So it's, Um, an interesting challenge out there. We really truly need to move the protection of private keys to hardware. We have the tools, the standards are built. There are three billion devices out there that can do that. It's time to let it up.
1: Yeah, all good points. And so continuing on, how do people engage with Rivets? So we've talked about the developers getting interested in in the toolkit. Mm -hmm. How do they actually... Do they download it? Do they set up wallets? What's the process?
2: Yeah, it's a a, um, software application. You go to rivets.com, to our developer section on our website, and um, there's both instructions for it and a place where you can sign up as a developer. Um, Our tools are out there. We have a number of open source applications you can play with. Um, They're good example pieces of code. So we're still early on in the process. but, uh, but the tools are there. We've had third parties build applications on it. Um, we're not yet at sort of full commercial distribution. We expect that to happen um, beginning of next year.
1: So then is there a cost right now for the developers to be using your platform?
2: Um, yeah, and the basic tools are provided for free. And the way we charge is that we charge a developer on a per device, per user basis um, to take advantage of the tools. And, and those range in very low values. Obviously, you know, if you're building an enterprise application for 100 people, um, it might cost you a dollar user a month. If you're building um, security for Facebook, it might even be free and we'll just make money off of the other services to those devices. So it's a range depending on your scale.
1: Okay, but are you selling directly to enterprises?
2: Um, so yes, we would sell directly to enterprises. Um, it's one of the things that we're working on with Telefonica is to leverage their existing distribution channels in cybersecurity to reach all of those enterprises in their network as well.
1: That's great. And I want to take a quick second to say that Rivets is spelled R-I-V-E-T-Z, not an S, dot com.
2: Correct. Uh, a rivet is how you bind dissimilar materials. And every time you make a new rivet, it's unique.
1: So, Stephen, with just the last minute we have in this segment, what are some of the what is the message you want to impart?
2: I think people have to be very careful as they download applications and services that begin to ask the question of, how do I prove that the data I've created or the data I've received is actually correct? There's a lot of fake data potential that's out there. We see it every day in phishing attacks, You know, where you roll over the link and it's different than what's displayed on the screen. And that's sort of the simplest, much more sophisticated hacks are out there. And so today, be careful. The industry hasn't delivered you a solution where what you see on the screen can be trusted. And you should verify it, whether it's an ICO address or it's a wire transfer number or a bank account. Take your time, verify that it's real, verify it with more than one channel um, and take advantage of it after that.
1: That's great advice. Steven, thanks again for being on today's show. Once again, Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest, Steven Sprague, founder and CEO of Rivets, making apps simpler and safer. Go to their website, rivetz.com, or email us at info at biz to get more information on their platform. Stick around, because Steven's going to come back on The Pivot.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host,
1: Keith Kuh. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I've had Stephen Sprague, who's the founder and CEO of Rivets, making apps simpler and safer. Welcome back, Stephen.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: And thanks for joining me on The Pivot. So The Pivot is all about transformational change, and you've seen a lot in your career, Stephen. Where do you think things are
2: headed? Well... I have a firm belief that we are at the very front edge of the end of the land. And so local area networking has been the bane of our existence in both consumer and enterprise for a long time. While we've gotten pretty good at hooking the laptop to a printer, um, don't even try and take the baby cam, run it through a port near Linksys hotspot, across town to a port in Grandma's Linksys hotspot so it gets on her laptop. There's like two engineers at Cisco who can make that work the first time out. And so we have this amazing collection of compute power, and we're running it on a really old, really dumb network. And the transition in the network really needs to shift from a network built on connections to a network built on identity. And we've seen this movie before. It's um, how a little company called AT&T got swallowed up um, by a mobile company and then rebranded into a mobile company. Right mobile is an identity-centric model of computing. It's not based on what port you plug the princess phone into. It's based on the identity in the SIM chip in your handset. And I think that we are at the very front edge of enabling that transformation for the LAN.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the edge, whether you intended it to be a pun or not. I mean, edge computing is where we're trying to make these, the ecosystem more secure, Um, I recall, so back in the day when I worked on, for Cisco, we worked on the first commercial Wi-Fi, Aeronet, and I was in my hotel room connecting to the company's Wi-Fi on one megabit per second on on a LAN. And I can totally see what you're saying in terms of we're reaching the boundaries of what we understand the LAN to be, especially as we are all addicted to our mobile devices.
2: So let's deliver the millennials something they can understand. Let's build them the Facebook of devices. So the biggest IoT opportunity absolutely by far is how do we connect your laptop to your printer to IoT devices, ones that we use every day. Every consumer tries to do this. So if we give your laptop an identity and your printer an identity, and then we make them friends with each other. And just for a second, let's, Let's assume we could give them both WhatsApp accounts. Then you could send a print job from your laptop to your printer using WhatsApp from anywhere on the planet, as long as both of the things are plugged in. And it doesn't matter who they're plugged into, how they're plugged in, what network they're on, as long as they can chat. Because Fundamentally, that's what we want it to look like. So then I can have things like a baby cam, and I can share it to mom's phone or tablet, but then mom could share those keys to grandma's tablet and you'd have a secure network where only the baby cam and those two devices can talk to each other. Of course, if you extended that to a million devices, you'd have what's called CNN, which is just a video camera hooked to a million people. So fundamentally the transformation has to start. The challenge is who's going to own all the keys. And when blockchain came along, what I saw the first time I saw blockchain, was the system for how we were gonna enable the keys so that every household owned its own telco. In other words, it has its own root key, its devices are underneath that, they can talk to each other, and then it's up to the administrator in that household as to whether you want to share any of those devices across the network to somebody else's household.
1: The vision is awesome. Couple of follow-up questions. In the way that Rivets has implemented your solution, is it on a public chain or a private chain?
2: So the way we've implemented today, it's it's designed to be on a public chain. It's currently actually just running on a database, i.e. a private chain. But the registrar that we build is architected to be ported to a smart contract on a public chain. Now, we'll get there in time, one step at a time, because we have to have some controls as this rolls out they're interesting challenges when you create non-observable private networks with world-class security. It's, it is a challenge. Um, and I also backup and recovery is a challenge. Like, What happens if my house burns down and I lose all my things? I still want access to my data. So there's a lot of work still to be built, but there's absolutely no question in my mind that we're going to move to a network where things are friends with each other. It's an easier model to explain and understand to everybody.
1: It, it is. And that was my next question is, with all those variables in place, how fast do you think that the adoption will take place? When do you think it'll be um, hit critical mass?
2: It's, uh, it's really hard to guess. It'll take longer than we expect, and it'll surprise us more quickly than we expect. Um, I think people think it's going to out a long, a long ways, but I think we're going to wake up one morning and it will become the new obvious way to network, and then the stampede will begin. So... We're in that interesting point where the technology risk is completely gone. There's no technology risk here problem. It's just a matter of turning the crank. But it is also not the obvious or consensus solution of industry that we're going to move away from wired connections to identity-based data sharing. They talk about it, but they haven't seen it yet. When they see it, it will run, and it will run much faster than people expect.
1: Thank you, Stephen. That was actually really the answer to my third question. And I really appreciate you being on the show today. We covered a lot of ground, so I want to remind people, I had Stephen Sprague, founder and CEO of Rivets on the show today, making apps simpler and safer. Any follow-up questions or comments, you can go to their website, rivetz.com or email us at info at svn.biz. You can find us on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. Thanks again for being here. We'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN.